0: Welcome back to The Catch. On today's episode, we talk about the cultural phenomenon that is Barbenheimer. Uh, We discuss Shohei Itani and his standing in in baseball history, Um, and then we do a fun 1999 NBA redraft. Enjoy. It's only been a couple of days since we last recorded, but any uh, anything new and exciting on the home front?
1: Nah, nothing too, nothing too exciting. It's another day, another day in paradise, really. I will say, I will say, it's something I'd kind of just been thinking about, and I'm more of like a realization. It's just once you're of this age, and you're like kind of in that work, work life out of out of like being heavy like your summer breaks and whatnot, it's like summer doesn't even feel like a thing anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Like
1: my 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 Wednesday in July is no different than my Wednesday in February. Which is no you different know, than my Wednesday in September.
0: The only difference is the fact that it's like lighter later. So like you could Yeah so once you get stuff, off
1: you can still do stuff after yeah, but like
0: you can still do stuff after work where in the winter you're not really gonna do that. It's too dark. Yeah, I, I really believe in seasonal depression.
1: Remember you saying that before?
0: Like, it's I don't, I just feel like every winter I feel horrible. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, it's not that I dislike the cold. I mean, it gets old, obviously. Like, Ooh. I don't love the cold, especially the extreme cold. But I do, I always did like, I think the fall is my favorite season. I That's kinda, definitely
1: like, growing on me.
0: I think that the attire in like the fall is the yeah. best. Like, like you wearing can really like or, in the fall or uggs like nice pair of pants and like a hoodie or like a a quarter zip or a fleece or something and like i like i like scullies and like bubble coats too but like even before you get to that point where you could wear like a scully and like a like a sweater yeah it's like not too cold but you still be outside that's probably the best weather no it is is nicer when it's lighter out lighter out late it's definitely definitely much better
1: so then what do you feel about like that uh winter transition in the springtime
0: i like uh, it but i feel like it's like more confusing almost yes than like somewhere yes. going into fall because it could be mad nice one day like oh i'm gonna wear like a short sleeve outside or something and then i say like oh it's like kind of cold or if it's but not getting, even
1: that it, it does it does that in the same day
0: yeah no exactly you get up, for, gets, you get up like, for
1: work in the morning it's freezing cold it's outside cold. and by yeah. the time you're off you're off the clock it's like 80 degrees.
0: Yeah, through that's, that's true. Um, um I I You saying- had
1: mentioned um, – go ahead. No, no. Wait, what were you going to say? It's kind of a bit off topic, but you had mentioned the Tims in the, in the fall and whatnot, and I was going to ask you, did you see uh, Shay with his – they were called <laughs> – jokes I've heard, they were called the honey bun Tims, it looks more yeah. like uh it's, it's the same the same as like the construction ones, the the tan, but um it looks more like a patent leather finish on it. So they're just super shiny and not uh, sticky. Not even they look sticky, they're just they're just shiny.
0: Like a glaze.
1: Yes, yes, exactly that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was one of the jokes I heard. The honey bun Tims, I heard glaze. I didn't know if you saw the picture though.
0: I didn't see that. Yeah, I look I it up. up. I would say the biggest news from my weekend in the last couple of days since we recorded was the uh Barbenheimer.
1: Yes, how was it?
0: It was awesome. It was uh I'll start with Oppenheimer. I just feel like I feel like obviously you learn about it in school and everything, like the atomic bomb and everything, but I just feel like it's probably one of the three craziest things that's ever happened. And it's like not talked about enough in daily life. But the thing is like This it's was so, in
1: Japan, right?
0: Yeah. So Where it was Yeah. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But I feel like it's it's not something you really want to remember in a way. Like I would say the moon landing is probably crazier, but that's like such a great feat that there's no real negative to it. So like people are gonna be talk like people will talk about it. We're like, Aside the from the fact bombs, people
1: don't think that it exists, but
0: well, yeah, but that's a different discussion, <laughs> but the atomic bomb, like, even though it's a great scientific feat, morally, it's not the best thing that's ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's, that's probably why, but it is really crazy to think about that. They didn't even, there wasn't even television yet and they were able to, and build they managed this. to do that. And I'm not a physicist or a chemist or anything, so I'm not going to pretend like I know the science behind it, but it, it's like it's just an incredible scientific feat that i feel like is like not talked about enough
1: no nah, definitely i didn't even think about that aspect of it yeah because so i don't even well yeah that was world war Two.
0: yeah so i don't know how much you know about oppenheimer robert oppenheimer is the guy that, that uh i mean it was a whole oh, you team of this is an
1: actual person
0: yeah so
1: based okay, off one okay
0: so the backstory i'll give you the quick gist of it robert oppenheimer is like this like He's like uh I might botch what he is exactly. Like I said, I'm not a scientist, but I believe he's like a molecular physicist or something like that. What oh, the fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> and or he's like a quantum physicist. Something something around um along the lines. That, of that. sound
1: that but, sounds a bit more familiar to my ears.
0: But he, uh so he's an American, obviously. But like he's a Jewish American. And when he's like growing up and stuff, he has like this like he's like you know a super mind and they're not really practicing um again on my this, but like molecular physics or whatever in america okay. yet so like he goes abroad studies in like different countries and stuff he goes to like germany and england and like all over like europe and he studies under like the best minds in the world and like he learns the shit ton about like physics and everything and he kind of brings it back to america and then he begins teaching teach, He's, he teaches at like Caltech and Cal Berkeley. And so like, he kind of starts like this whole craze about like molecular physics and like quantum physics and everything. And he was kind of, he was not a huge fan of Einstein. Like Einstein's a little older than him. And I feel like, I feel like he respected Einstein, but like, he kind of thought he was like better than Einstein. And okay. he, so he basically gains this following and everything. World War II breaks out. And mind you, he's like he's like a left leaning type of guy. So he supports a lot of uh a lot of like European countries like up like uprisings and revolts and stuff.
1: Okay.
0: Um so he's like connected with communists, like he's friends with a lot of American communists and stuff like that. So he's kinda always flagged by the government, but he's never actually a like actually a communist, like he's not a party member or anything like that but he has a lot of connections with communists. And so he has this big following. World War II breaks out. He basically gets recruited by the United States military to create a bomb. So I think, to the best of my knowledge, was like the only, like, bombing technology they had was like dynamite, pretty much. Like they didn't really have any super sophisticated bombing. So he... Had heard that in Germany, the Nazis, like the best physicists in Germany who he had met before um, and like knew personally, had like figured out how to like split an atom or whatever the science is. Like I said, I'm not a physicist or like a chemist, but like I guess like to split an atom. And that's like ha- what the atomic bomb is. And so he, so they basically recruited right. him to kind of catch up on the research. And he had kind of projected they were about 18 months behind what the Germans were at. But he had built, like, a great team, and they had kind of jumped the Germans, and he had figured out this whole thing about how how to make the bomb. But meanwhile, like, the government is kind of, like, using him because, like, they need him to make the bomb. But at the same time, like, they don't exactly trust him because he has, like, communist ties. And at this Mm -hmm. time, Russia and the United States are technically allies in the war, but, like, they're not, like, exactly allies in real life. And you could kind of feel the tension that they will become enemies in the future. So, the fact that he has so many ties to communism and everything, it kind of, like, makes the United States government suspicious. They keep a close eye on him. They kind of make him cut off everybody that he had ties with that was a communist. And he goes out to New Mexico and builds this fucking base. And this is where they're building the bomb. They're testing it. It's sounds like, a time crunch and everything. In the but... desert. What they didn't get into in the movie was, like, this guy is, like... In the movie, they show that, like, he, like, can't sleep at night. Like, he like, has nightmares that, like of like people dying from this and everything because it basically figured out that again for like the 10th time i'm not a scientist but i guess when you split the atom and like what happens is like the new whatever neutrons or like latch on to whatever and that's what creates the explosion um there is a chance that there's going to be a chain reaction i should have said spoiler alert before saying this whole thing but a spoiler alert um there could be a chain reaction that like the neutrons like keep catching on to whatever it is and that it will never stop and that it will set the atmosphere on fire and like the whole earth will what? like so there was like a less oh. than one percent chance that that was going to happen but there was a chance
1: there was a chance so he basically what? went
0: to einstein and was like do you think that like this could happen and <laughs> whatever and einstein kind of wanted to like stay out of it but anywho he ends up building it and uh like i said what they didn't say in the movie Like they showed how like paranoid he was and stuff, but like apparently he was actually like schizophrenic in real life. So like he's extremely smart, but he's like super paranoid all the time. Like has like these visions of stuff, and like um and like I said, he's a like he's a a Jewish American. Most of the team that he's working with are Jewish Americans, so like they're in a fight against the Nazis, so they're building this bomb to defeat the Nazis. And then by the time like they're pretty much done with the bomb, like Hitler had died and like the Nazis had surrendered and it's just Japan left at this point. So he doesn't really want to drop the bomb on Japan, but like it's kind of out of his hands. That's like the kind of like the moral calm of the movie. Like he built it, but he's not like a policymaker. He's not a politician. Like it's not really his decision if they're going to use it or not. So it's like, whose fault is it? Like, is it his fault for making it or is it like Truman's fault for dropping it? That's kind of like the moral qualm of it. And then like yeah. after after he's done making the bomb and they drop the bombs and everything, He's they kind of like fuck him over. They try to get him to make a hydrogen bomb. That's like, wow. like basically he a new because right they, they want to use it on Russia, but like have it to use against Russia just in case. And it's like the start of the Cold War. And he's like, if I start working on this, then the Russians are going to start working on it. And before you know it, like every country is going to have nuclear weapons and it's going to be bad. And like they basically try to fuck him over. Um, but they do fuck him over. Basically, they kind of kill his whole reputation. Um, but it was a sick movie, like visually and like the audio and everything. The acting's phenomenal. Killian Murphy, the main guy, is awesome in it. Matt Damon is like a general in it. He's awesome. Um, definitely a great movie. I'm sure there has to long be a long lot of long.
1: that. Sound that sounds like one we're sitting through, though. I'm not a obviously not much of a movie person, but. Um that synopsis was enough to <laughs> <laughs> to pull me into to go in and see it truthfully. It, it's and long. If I don't but see I it in don't... theaters then at some point down the line.
0: Go yeah. Ahead. I I would say see it in theaters if you can, just because like that's the only way you're gonna see it, like with that type of visual and audio effect. But um It's just it, it, like like I said, it's three hours long, but it doesn't really feel that long. Yeah. Col- like, there is, like, a good chunk after, I guess, kind of, like, the climax of the film is when they test the bomb, like I said, in New Mexico, and uh, it's called, like, Lo- I think it was, it's either San Alamos or Los Alamos or something like that, is, like, the name of the base, and I think you could actually go there and, like, see where they tested everything, um, but, so that was the first part of the double feature, the second part is Barbie, obviously. Barbie was really good, too. Barbie was really good.
1: Had January. a great cast,
0: yeah. No, it had a great cast. It was like, it's a, it's a good lighthearted film, um, but also has like deeper meaning about like you know like having self respect and like confidence in yourself and you know stuff like that. Marco for Robbie's for awesome for and, women
1: or for amongst all people, I saw some backlash with Barbie.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say all people because Ryan Gosling plays Ken in the movie one of the cans, okay. a lot of cans, But he plays one of the cans, and he kind of has this whole character arc where he's just kind of, like, a secondary character. Barbie doesn't really care about him. He has, like, no self-confidence, and, like, he only exists to be, like, Barbie's, like, you know, love interest, but, like, not really. Um, and then, like, when he comes into the real world, he has, like, this whole thing where he, like, it, it, he basically discovers, like, toxic masculinity, masculinity and brings it back to Barbie land. And then he's, like, super toxic, and all the men are toxic, but then, like... He comes full circle and realizes that he could like exist without Barbie. Yeah. And that he like has worth too. But it's a great cast. Will Ferrell's in it. Michael Cera, yeah, is he. Margot Robbie, obviously, like I said, Ryan Gosling. Um it's definitely a good double feature. I would say Oppenheimer. Huh, I don't know if it's a ten out of ten. I would probably give it a nine out of ten. And Barbie's probably uh eight out of ten. I mean, I'm tempted to see them both again. I'm tempted to see them both again. I'll say that. It was a a good day I made out of it. It was also funny. Um, My girlfriend, she was saying how, like, when we were in the movie, she was like, because they they were showing all these different versions of Barbie dolls. And she was like, oh, I used to have one that was, like, the pregnant Barbie. And you could, like, take its stomach off. And there was a baby inside. And then, like, literally within the first two minutes of the movie, they, like, make a joke about that, that Barbie. And, like, she was in the movie. And they were like, well, wait, we discontinued that one. I don't know. They were like, I don't know why we'd ever make that. Like, there's like a narrator say, I don't know why we'd ever make that. We just continued it. But...
1: I was going to say, there seems to be like, the diversification with Barbie is ridiculous. And like, all oh, the... just additional shit, like, my niece is super into Barbies. and Yeah. The different kinds that I'm seeing is like, uh, it's like, who even like thinks to, to make these things?
0: It yeah, is good, I guess. That <laughs> it's like, I mean, besides the pregnant thing, but just like the fact that it's like it's super inclusive now and like everybody yeah, can feel like sure. they have a doll that represents them and it's pretty cool. Definitely. Um, but I actually just, I just bought the R. Oppenheimer book. There's like a book, uh, like a biography about the guy. It's called, um, it's called American Prometheus. I've been slacking about reading, man. I would like to talk okay. about books. Sure. I would like to talk about books on this podcast. You should see my coffee table. Like I just got... In the last, like I don't know, month, I got like I got the Chris Paul autobiography I got to read. Mike Greenberg wrote a book that I got I got to read. I just bought a book today, Killers of the Flower Moon, which is like a movie coming out in a couple months. Martin Scorsese movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro. That one looks crazy. So I want to read the book first. And then I just bought this Oppenheimer book because I kind of want to know more about this guy. Because like I said, I feel like this is like one of the craziest things that's ever happened. What do you think is yeah. crazy? The atomic bomb or the moon landing? Probably the moon landing.
1: Want to say? I mean, honest, going to the moon is pretty wild. Like Probably the idea understand. that it's, they they are capable of doing it. But I also didn't know like all the scientific. I should have figured obviously, but I wasn't really aware of all the scientific stuff behind like the atomic bomb, like how you were just explaining. And what's 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 atoms like chemistry? Yeah. For the record, I was horrible at <laughs> coming here. But just the, the level of intelligence you need to have to like be able to construct construct something like this, and like like you mentioned, this was before like television. Um So like yeah, like you don't you don't have the resources that we have nowadays, the, te- uh, the technology that we have nowadays, um but you still are able to create something like that. Like just the idea, like that's even a possibility. It's like it's pretty insane.
0: I also decided I'm going to go on a Christopher Nolan deep dive and I'm going to rewatch or watch for the first time for some of his movies, Um, but watch all his movies to discuss on this podcast. So be expecting that. All right. He's the guy that made this movie, but um, in terms of Barbie, I feel like Margot Robbie is a uh, is a lot older, not a lot older, but I feel like she's a lot younger. I older, like, is she? she is a lot younger than I would expect her to be. She's. I mean, she's like 33, which is, I guess, what I would expect her to be. But I just feel like she's been around forever. Like, Wolf of Wall Street came out 10 or 11 years ago. She was only is 22. That old?
1: That's, the, that's the only movie I know her from.
0: She was only 22 in Wolf of Wall Street. I feel like she was like 28 in that movie. She was only 22. Two years younger than us. Was that two, like two, her first two or three years major than film? Uh, I don't know. I think she was in a couple things before that. but Okay. I, can, I couldn't believe that she was only 22 in that movie. I thought she was like 28.
1: It's it's been so long, so I wouldn't even. I don't even know what what I would have thought. I don't yeah.
0: know. Um, but yeah, Barbenheimer definitely uh, recommend it. Kind of tempted to see it again, but one more thing in this intro, completely off topic, completely random. So my dad and my brother were watching a. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think we talked about this yet. My dad and my brother were watching like this this movie about the guy that like broke the four minute mile i don't know the guy's name but it's like i feel like it's a pretty significant thing that people always talk about because it was always thought that a four minute mile was impossible until it happened and then i feel like that kind of changed like the general mindset of people about what's impossible and what's not because like once Mm -hmm. something's done it's not impossible anymore um so i was thinking i don't know why but do you think it's how do i frame this I was trying to compare running a four minute mile to dunking on a twelve foot rim. Like I, I mean, think that I think that's for the very average
2: possible,
0: I know it's But it's also possible. but it's also possible to run a four minute mile. Yeah. Like at the time it had never been done. But I think like and a four minute mile like for me would be very hard, but it'd be more attainable. <laughs> more attainable than dunking on a twelve foot rim. Absolutely. So I think for the average person, running four minute mile is much more feasible.
1: So what's the question? Which one is more doable? Which one's
0: which one like, yeah, I guess which one's more attainable? I don't I don't know if it's a huge debate though. Like I would say four minute mile is definitely more attainable. Yeah. Like there's high school kids from my high school, they run like a four thirty or four twenty. Like they're a little bit off of it. But I feel like if you train your entire life, like the average person could do that. Like if you're if you're five nine, you're never dunking on a twelve foot rim. Yeah,
1: so it's it's physically not possible.
0: But at the same time, I know kids that are like six foot, six one that could like dunk between their legs on a ten foot rim. So like, I don't think it's crazy that they could dunk on a twelve foot rim. Yeah.
2: Now, sure. most
0: most NBA players are dunk on a twelve foot rim. But also, the NBA, NBA players are a small percentage of the population.
2: Yeah.
0: Like if no. Spud Webb, if Spud uh, Webb can dunk on a ten foot rim. And he's five three, then there's six three dudes that could dunk on a twelve foot rim. I
1: would you're about to suggest that he could dunk on a twelve foot rim. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I say
0: that. <laughs> but I don't think it's a great debate, but just something I was thinking about. I guess you could make the argument that it's harder to I mean, I, I don't really think you could though. I don't think you could make an argument that it's harder to run a four minute mile. No. No
2: shot.
1: I mean it for for some it literally is is impossible for to dunk on a twelve foot rim for many. Yeah. I think no, I can't say everybody, but the only it, reason I would
0: think that I would think that it is possible. I mean, it is possible, but like that it actually is attainable because like you do from time to time see like five feet guys dunking on ten foot rims, like crazy bounce. So if they're doing that, then maybe there is a way that somebody that's like six two could dunk on a twelve foot rim. But I mean, two feet is kind of a lot.
1: Yeah. You
0: yeah, know, I mean, you're just like your max and like, your maxing, like
1: your physical capabilities.
0: Yeah.
1: Again, for, for, for both sure. you are, but
0: yeah. But anyway, we'll take a quick break here. When we get back, we're going to talk some uh, Shohei Itani. All right. So I feel like we haven't done enough baseball on this podcast. So um, I guess a huge topic of to discussion right now is Shohei Itani. So I got to ask, is he, the, is he the greatest baseball player of all time?
1: It's not an overreaction for me to say yes.
0: I don't think it is either. can be. I mean, he hasn't had the greatest career yet. Obviously, people have greater have had greater careers, but I just think what he's doing isn't even like I feel like it's so insane that people can't even really fathom what it is. Like, what's the football comparison? Is the football compare like I saw something on Twitter like the football comparison? Somebody asked like explain this in in, in NBA terms, and it was like Patrick Mahomes having three sacks in the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's that's like pretty much the NFL, or I should have said NFL, not NBA, but that's like the NFL comparison.
1: I thought you were going to say like Deion Sanders. I feel like yeah. they, if we're, talking about, yeah, if we're sure. talking about something that's more realistic and something just from something historically, Deion Sanders is probably like the best comparison I could think of off
0: the top of my head. I feel like there isn't even a comparison because I feel like he is yeah, genuinely at, like, his peak is the best hitter and best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. yeah. I don't even and, know what you can compare it to. Like, obviously, basketball is – you can't really compare it in basketball because you got to play both sides of the ball anyway. I guess it'd be like if Shaq was the greatest three-point shooter ever, maybe. I don't know.
1: I was going to say something more <laughs> like Magic Johnson, you're going to be able to play all five positions.
0: Yeah. But again, I mean, there's, there's been more guys isn't
1: comparable.
0: There's been more guys that can play five positions than there has been yeah. guys that get hit and pitch. Yeah, I don't, I don't, really know what to compare it to. I will say this: considering
1: they're two vastly different parts of the game as well. Like the skill set yeah, is completely yeah. different.
0: I don't want to come off as a hater here. I don't want to make any anybody upset, um, and I don't want to disrespect any of the old time uh, baseball people or players. But Babe Ruth is nowhere near this level. I've, I've heard close.
1: that. I've heard that debate a
0: lot. Not even close. I don't want to disrespect Babe Ruth, but I feel like when you're talking about, and obviously Babe Ruth played in the 20s and 30s and stuff, so like it's completely different than comparing him to like Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain or something. But whenever you hear like oh, like a LeBron or Jordan era debate, it's like oh, you, yeah, Bill Russell won 11 rings, but you can't compare that because there was only eight teams in the league and the league wasn't as good, which is true but he was playing against the best competition in the world at the time. So there's nothing he can do.
1: Is that the same argument as used for baseball as well?
0: No, because because they weren't playing against the best competition in the world because there was the Negro Leagues. The Negro Leagues, yeah. So Babe Ruth, so yeah, all right, yeah. The competition wasn't as good for Bill Russell, but he was playing against the best competition that was available to him. Babe Ruth, and it's not Babe Ruth's fault, but yeah. he was not playing against the best competition in the world. He wasn't. And also the rules were, and again, this isn't his fault, but it's just the circumstances. It is what it is. When Babe, The year that Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs, ground rule doubles counted as home runs. And there's no, they I didn't keep track.
1: That before, actually.
0: They didn't keep track or like differentiate it. So like there's no telling how many, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a significant number, But there's no telling how many of his home runs were ground rule doubles. Ground rule
1: doubles, yeah.
0: You know what I mean? So, like, I mean, what he did was great and everything, historically. And he was the best player ever for a while. But I just feel like he wasn't playing against the best competition that was available, which I feel like is a huge knock against him. Um, And if you look at it here, you always hear, like, oh, he was Shoei Itani's, like, the modern Babe Ruth and everything. But... um. I have Beirut stats up here. Obviously, he has incredible stats. Um, but if you look at his pitching stats, he pitched a lot early in his career. So he came into the league in 1914. Um, 1914. And, no, he pitched. He started 40 games in 1916, 38 games in 1917. Obviously, it was a different different game back then. Like in 1917, he started 38 games and threw 35 complete games. Um, So, obviously, a different game. But the last season that he actually pitched a lot was 1919. He pitched in 17 games. After that, he only pitched five more games his whole career. So, 1919 was the last time he actually pitched a lot in a season. He played until 1935. So, like, he had a 16-year stretch where he was only hitting. You know what I mean? So, he was never really the first handful of years in his career. He was hitting and pitching. But in 1918, he only hit 11 home runs um he only had 317 at bats like he didn't really he wasn't when he was a pitcher he wasn't really hitting much and then once he became a really good hitter he stopped pitching like he hit 54 home runs in 1920 59 home runs in 21 but he wasn't pitching in those years so he was yeah. a good pitcher or not good he was a great pitcher and a great hitter but he was never doing them at the same time the same and time otani, otani is doing it at the same time
1: Man, I'm honestly still stuck on you saying that he started his career in 1914. I didn't know it was that. Like he's almost, he's almost like a mythical fi- uh, mythical figure. I'm just yeah. saying seriously.
0: And that's why we can't, we can't, I mean, I'm not trying to knock him because like there was nothing he could do about it, but he was not playing against the best competition. And it's also overrated the fact, um, you know, the pitching and the hitting, like he was a great pitcher and a great hitter, but separately, which is still amazing, but like. To be able to do it, at to to do it both at the a, same is time is an entirely yeah. different thing.
1: Yeah, no, there's certainly never been, and I shouldn't say never will be because it's always a possibility. But I do think there's it's never spark. been anybody like him. That's what I was just about to ask you. Do you think that's going to be like a new wave of two-way players to the
0: league? I do think so. I don't know when we're going to see it, but I do think there is going to be more and more players like this now. Like it's, it can be done clearly. And the fact that, like, he, like, is, I mean, obviously he's better now than he's ever been. But the fact that he could, like, come into the league kind of right away and be this good. I mean, he has been around for a few years. But just the fact that there wasn't really, like, any, like, you know, because there could have been a chance. Like, I've heard in the past that, like, he didn't want to, he kind of waited a little bit longer to come over than he originally wanted to. Because he felt that if he came up through the minor league system in America, that they would have tried to get him to pick one or the other. And he didn't want to do that. Mm. So, like, I do feel like, like, Major League Baseball and American Baseball, like, they kind of try to make players choose one or the other. And I think that maybe now there'll be more, you know, the general public and baseball minds will be more open to, to allowing people to pitch in. That's a
1: little question I was just about to ask you, because I figure you're probably a bit more familiar with, like, high school baseball than me. Um, like, at that level, our coaches, I feel like when you're, like, playing little league baseball like the best player is probably always always going to be also always going to pitch as well
2: yeah definitely. So, like when
1: he gets like the high school level do they kind of try to make you do one or the other at that point or is it like later than that
0: i mean obviously it depends what level of high school you're playing at but if you're the best player in high school still you're you're probably doing both yeah you know what i mean like if you're a division one commit you know, and you're playing at like a public high school. Like you're probably doing both, and you're probably yeah. very good at both. Yeah. But I mean, if you're like a, if you're going to like LSU or Vanderbilt or something, and you're going to IMG or like a powerhouse, then you're probably only doing one. I remember a couple of years ago. I don't know the kid's name on top of my head, but it's like it was a huge viral clip. Viral uh, clip um, of like the LSU pitcher that like he convinced his coach to let him hit, and he hit a home run. Nah, like I didn't I got to send it to you. It, it was viral a while ago. It was an awesome clip. I don't remember it verbatim, but basically what it was, was like this kid, he hit a home run. He was a pitcher, he hit a home run. And uh, they like asked him after the game, like, oh, how would you convince your coach to let you hit? He's like, oh, like I told him, like, I told him I hit dingers in high school. <laughs> and I mean, like, I, just, like I told him I could hit a dinger, I went up, he hit a home run. And then the press, like that was like an on the field interview. Then the press conference after, he was like, oh, I got to admit something. Uh, coach. I never hit in high school. My coach never let me hit in high school. Oh, here, so. I have seen that. Yeah. I have
1: seen that video before. I didn't but, see. I never saw the initial interview, but I saw that press conference one.
0: Yeah, but I. I mean, I do That's think, hilarious. I mean, who's to say? I don't think that. I do think that it will happen. But I, I mean, I feel you'd be kind of foolish to say that someone's going to do it this good.
1: Yeah, say, yeah. at this yeah, and elite like there's level. No shot.
0: He's he's pretty much the best hitter, so in young pitcher, pitcher in baseball.
1: and yeah, the best hitter.
0: Yeah. I mean, he won MVP two years ago. He's going to win this year and he would have won last year if Judge wasn't, you know, didn't have the greatest season ever. Yeah. So, I mean, Otani, there is an outside chance that he could break Judge's home run, AL home run record this year. He's on pace, isn't he? Close to it. Yeah. Close to it. There's an outside chance. I mean, he'd have to be hot like he can't. Judge literally did, was hot the entire season until probably the last two weeks last year where he was kind of, I felt like he was getting in his head a little on bit pressure about the chase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, besides that, he literally did not have one slump the entire season. Like, it's extremely hard to do. Yeah. But, I mean, the elephant in the room anybody is the...
1: Of doing it. like, yeah, anybody capable of doing it would be him.
0: For sure. But I think the elephant in the room is, uh, you know, the trade possibility. Yeah. I feel like about a week ago... The deadline's in eight days. I feel like about a week ago, the chances of him getting traded were a little bit higher. Um, I don't know if you had, do you have any packages that you, were, that you pulled up in your research?
1: Yeah. So, I don't really know what a trade for Otani looks like.
0: I think yeah. what I had saw was that they wanted, like, they wanted, like, four good prospects and, like, players. I know A-Rod had said, I believe it was like during the All Star break. Like he had said that if the Angels trade Ohtani and Trout, they will win a World Series in five years, because the haul that they could get for and those they're gonna two get players in return, yep. would be insane. But the other end of the argument is like it's not like I feel like baseball is a little harder to judge. Like if you have two star players in the NBA, it's not working out or whatever. Like, you could trade for draft picks, which, I mean, you don't know what's going to work out either. I guess that would be the equivalent to prospects. But, like, if you get young players that are already in the NBA, I feel like that's more of a – not a guarantee, but there's a better chance that they're going to work out than, like, prospects. Like, a lot of prospects don't really always work out. In baseball? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I also was unaware that you can't trade draft picks in baseball. No. That seems to be something that would allow for more player movement.
0: Yeah, I guess. But like I said, like, I feel like like, prospects are almost like draft picks because, like, they still might be a few years away anyway. Yeah. I know the Yankees haul would have to be, like, I think if you can get Otani. Well, the other thing is no team is going to trade for him without a long-term commitment. Like, a team's not going to trade for him to have him for the last two months of the season and then give up their top four prospects and then he's gone. Yeah. So they have to have a long-term commitment. I think that's kind of what's holding a lot of teams up. So let me ask you this.
1: This is a, uh, a mock trade package okay. for Otani from the Yankees. I mean, Here. how you feel about this? So we have outfielder Jason Dominguez. Okay. Infielder Oswald Peraza. Yeah. Outfielder Spencer Jones.
0: And infielder okay.
1: Gleber Torres. Huh.
0: Dominguez and Peraza is a lot. I mean, I'd have to know what the Yankees' plan is, like, because Peraza plays shortstop, and so does Volpe, who Volpe's a rookie, and he's like our, you know, next coming at Derek Jeter, so they say. So one of them's gonna have to move positions anyway. So I don't know if you just move on from one of them. That could be an option. I think that I think that. And I think Torres is time. I I like Torres, but I think his time is like he's kind of run his course in New York. I think that you got a commitment that Otani was going to sign a ten-year extension upon this trade. I think you do it. Like I don't think there's any price that's too much. Like yeah, you're giving up our top two prospects. I don't know too much about the other prospect, but you're giving up our top two prospects and you know a key like a key part of your lineup to get them. But I think you do that. You have to do it. You have to run for you yeah, for as dynamic as he is you have to like, i don't think there's a price that's too much if you have a long-term commitment now i think that if he doesn't sign an extension then i don't know if you can do that trade because if he walks then you're that becomes the worst trade ever probably the yeah. worst trade in baseball history if that happens. <laughs> because what if he what if we make that trade we lose our top two prospects and torres and then he signs with the mets or something like that would be an absolute That'd catastrophe.
1: Be, that, that would be that would be doomsday in new york
0: that would be an absolute catastrophe. So I think that, I think that if there is a commitment um, to signing an extension, then there's no price that's too high. Now the thing I mean, is, yes, the thing is, he is going to get probably seven hundred million dollars. Would be the largest ever? By far, correct. Because he has to be by paid far. as a yeah. There's not a six hundred million. I think, tr- let me pull it up quick. I think Trout's is 5'50", maybe. <laughs> Not even. Trout's was 12-year, 426. Wow. And you think and he at gets the, 700? At the, time, at the time, that was the richest deal in the history of North American sports.
1: Yeah, now they have these ridiculous fucking soccer, uh, soccer contracts.
0: Yeah. Well I mean that's your besides but, the point. That's besides well, the point. You see, have you seen this in Boppy stuff, dude? Nah. So well I probably my,
1: have this, this this might be what I'm referring to. I
0: a, don't couple of the my name, friends, a couple of my friends like were sending me stuff about this today. Shout out Sam, Derry, and Connor. But um Basically like a Saudi uh soccer club. I mean I, I don't know exactly the logistics of uh you know like european soccer but like the way it works is like you have to buy the contract out from the team and then like commit the contract to the player or whatever so like they had offered i think the saudi club had offered mbappe like 700 million and then it would have been 300 no, that's something what I'm 300 about. something million to buy out the contract so it would have been a billion total <laughs> that's what i heard this morning Then let me pull this up real quick uh my boy sam just sent this about an hour ago so apparently psg offered uh, Mbappe a 10-year, 1 billion euro contract. That is ridiculous, bro. It would be the biggest in sports history. 10 years, a billion that doesn't dollars. Even, that doesn't
1: even seem fathomable.
0: What's Mahomes' deal? 500 mil, right? I think it's half a bill. I mean, it's not all guaranteed, but... Five, I think he got 500 mil, I'm pretty sure. But, alright, back to what we were saying about Atani. You got a little off, off track there, but... um. You have to pay Otani as a pitcher and a hitter. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to pay him as the best yeah. hitter, which would be about four hundred million, and you have to pay him as the best pitcher, which would be like three hundred million. I mean, if he has a good agent, that's what it would be, right?
1: I know. Genuinely, I have no idea because, like, you again, we never seen anybody like this, especially with the money, with the way money is distributed now in sports. So, like, what, I, what is he worth? I mean, seven million doesn't it doesn't seem like he's worth seven seven hundred million dollars, but like
0: that's certainly what he judge, could get. judge got nine, and I think he yeah, I think he makes. What's he made? I want to say thirty. I think he was nine for. Let me pull it up real quick. We'll get it on it real quick. Nine for three sixty. So you have to think, and he signed. it. I think Otani's twenty nine now. Judge signed that at thirty. So like. You'd have to think he gets about the same as a hitter, three hundred and sixty. About the same age, um, and then he gets another three hundred as a pitcher. He's looking at six hundred and fifty to seven hundred. That's a, <laughs> which is just insane. But the thing is, the Mets, the Mets, I think, are a legit contender for him because Steve Cohen has unlimited money.
1: money out there.
0: Yeah, he has unlimited money and he's willing to spend it. So, like, if it comes down to it and he's looking for the money, like, I think he could get that from the Mets. Um, I know that the whole thing with him has been, like, which never really made sense to me, but to each his own. He wants to stay on the West Coast because it's closer to home. It's a shorter flight to Japan. But, like, even on the West Coast, it's shorter, but it's still a long flight. Like, you're not, you play (laughs) baseball every day. It's 162 games. You're not really popping home on your day off. You know what I mean? Like, I guess the All Star break it's easier to get yeah. home and stuff, but you're not really, and maybe is the time really difference. Real? Maybe the time difference is a big thing. Yeah. Well, that's what they say. That's why Ichiro stayed in Seattle for so long because it was closer to mm. home, and like maybe the time difference makes it easier to talk to people back home and stuff. And like from what I've heard, he doesn't. I don't think he necessarily loves America. Hotani like he doesn't really like the stuff like the the fame and everything. I mean, who knows? But you know, all speculative. For that amount of money, it is going to be probably we, the biggest, the biggest free agency chase in quite yeah, some time for sure. Probably for any American sport. I think that I think the dot like, I mean, I don't know if the Angels are entirely out, like, they haven't made the playoffs. They made the playoffs once in Trout's career, they haven't made the playoffs yet with Otani. But like I was saying earlier, before we got off track a little bit, I think that they were leaning towards trading him before the deadline and at the deadline. They've been playing well since the deadline. Let me pull up the standings here. Um I know finance out.
1: is a bit different in baseball. So like do, do them signing him long term, is that like tie them tie them up a little bit financially?
0: Uh I mean there's no salary cap, but you gotta pay the luxury tax. But I mean, if you have Trout and Otani and you can figure out a way to win and you're in LA, like I feel like it's I feel like the return on investment thing. is well worth it.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, they're not the Dodgers, but, I mean, still. I mean, they're only they're only four games out. Another third wild card. Got a couple months left. Drop is out. He's I think he's supposed to come back in August. So, I mean, I think if, if you think you can make a run, and then once you're in it, anything can really happen. Like, if they can get to the – I think it's a long shot, but if they can get in, get to the ALCS or something, maybe that's enough to convince him to stay. Yeah. I mean, Trout's, yeah, me locked up. Trout's locked up long-term, so like he knows Trout's going to be there. He's he's already been there. He's close to home. If they could show any sign of life and winning, I don't think it's out of the picture. But I would say the Dodgers are probably the biggest, you know, the largest favorite to land right now. I think the Yankees and the Mets will be in the mix. Uh, the Cubs will be in the mix. And I think the Padres and maybe the Mariners will be in the mix. I feel like those are the biggest contenders to to make a splash.
1: So at this moment, you make a prediction. Does he get traded?
0: And if so, where to? Hmm. I'm going to say no. I don't think he's going to get traded. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he did. But I think, I mean, they have eight days. So, you know, a lot can happen in eight days in baseball. They probably have six or seven games in that span. I mean, we could we, they could be a game out in eight days. Or they could be seven games out in eight days. So take this with a grain of salt. But I don't think they're going to trade him strictly because they're not going to get the haul that they want because he's not going to give a long-term commitment to a team.
1: Okay.
0: So I think that they're not going to trade him, but I do think he is going to leave. And I think he's going to sign with the Dodgers. Okay. That's going to be my... uh. My prediction. Now the debate has been. You know, I kind of want to see where your heads at on this. Is he obviously he's a hitter and a pitcher, but is he more valuable than Aaron Judge? Because obviously yes. he's okay. Here's the thing: Judge is probably, if not the best, top two or three defensive right fielder in all baseball. Is the defense making up enough? Because Otani's only pitching one every five days. So, you're getting maybe 30 starts out of him. You're getting 150 to 155 starts in the outfield for Judge every year defensively. And like he saves a lot of runs for the Yankees. So, so when they're both going, honestly, Judge is a better hitter. He hits for a better average, a little bit better power. And obviously, Otani is a better pitcher than Judge is a fielder. But the fact that Judge is doing it every day and Otani's only pitching 30 times a year does that make up for it, you think? Or is it close even?
1: I really don't think that it is. I mean, no. I don't no baseball guru. Um, but I just feel like I, I get that, yeah, he's only pitching once every four days. But the level that he's doing it at and, uh, I mean, just in general, pitching is so much more valuable than defenses, i say. say. Um, so I think the value of him – as a pitcher and again, the level that he does it at certainly outweighs judges, judges defense. Um, And again, I mean, they're neck and neck as far as, as hitting uh, is concerned. So I think the overall value of Otani is, is higher than, than judge.
0: Last thing I'll say here, then we can move on. The only thing that, I get scared about with him is like, obviously if he's healthy and everything, like he's, you know, you're getting two for one, but if he's hurt, not only are you losing your best hitter, you're losing your best pitcher two for one. That'd be like, Judge judge has been out for a while. And like, it'd be the equivalent if like Garrett Cole and judge were both out, like you're kind of fucked, you know what I mean? Especially if you're paying him as a hitter and pitcher. Just something to keep in mind. I mean, it's just, Something I've thought about that would concern me. But I think that I think that the like reward well outweighs the risk. Yeah. You got to take the chance. You're going to be that. great, as they say. Um, but we'll take another break here. We got a fun segment coming up. We're going to do a little 1999 NBA redraft when we return. All right, coming back here. Um, we kind of wanted to work a couple of redrafts in here. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick Pick a year. So this episode, we decided to pick 1999. I don't think for any reason in particular. Did you have a specific reason <laughs> nah. for this? It's kind of random. But
1: first thought was to <laughs> 2005. I looked at the
0: 2005 draft. What was that? Was that the? Was that the? Chris Paul. Chris Paul, right? Darren Williams. Yeah, Chris Paul,
1: Darren Williams. Was that the Bogut draft? Andrew Bogie, Yeah, he was number yeah. one. Um,
0: Marvin Williams. So then my
1: second thought, which is 99. Marvin Williams. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Marvin Williams was in that draft too. My second throw is ninety nine, and I kind of just like the draft. So,
0: it's an interesting draft looking at it here. Um, so we're not going to change the teams or the order of the teams or anything. Um, but we will possibly change the players. I'll let you choose. One hundred percent changing some players. We're not doing snake. We're just going to go back and forth. Okay. Do you want? I'll let you choose. Do you want the first pick or do you want the second pick?
1: All. I'm going with the second pick because I don't think there's a wrong answer to the second pick.
0: I kind of wanted you to take the first pick because I don't really know what to take number one. <laughs> but, oh, shit. so the first pick was the Chicago Bulls. Now, this was the year after Jordan Pippen, Phil Jackson, Last Dance. We all know the story. They originally selected Elton Brand from Duke. Elton Brand had a solid career. Um, I don't know if he lived up to the hype and the expectation, but he definitely, I don't think you could deny that he had a good NBA career. But he was hurt by, he was hampered by injuries. I mean, yeah, yeah. Looking, looking at his numbers, his first
1: seven years, he was literally a 20 and 10 guy every single season.
0: I also have to um, preface this by saying that we're we're going to do the top 10 picks.
1: Yes, um, top 10.
0: But with that being said, I'm not going to take Ellen Brand with the first pick on the Bulls. I'm taking Baron Davis. Wow. And that might be a reach. But <laughs> wow. I feel like, I feel like <laughs> in Chicago, I feel like he would fit the city. In his prime, he is a guy that could carry a team and be the best player on the team, as we saw with the We Believe Warriors um, when they won the first, their first round matchup as the seed. And I think after Jordan and Pippen and Phil Jackson left, like, you kind of needed a rebrand. And like we said, Ellen Brand was a good player, but I don't know if he's necessarily the box office draw and excitement. Because like Baron Davis is almost like Derrick Rose 15 years before the fact. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So I think that he could electrify the city in a way that they needed to kind of rebrand and restart after that whole last dance and the whole Jordan era and everything. So with the first pick as the Chicago Bulls, I would take Baron Davis. Wow. I didn't Might expect reach. you to go there. Might I did not expect reach, you to but...
1: go there at all. Um, you there. Know, Baron Davis was definitely a, a really good player. Even him too, uh, dealing with injuries though, which kind of later on in his career. But yeah, to your point, like in his prime, Baron Davis was like that, and he was always a good, always a good highlight reel as well. So, um,
0: wait, real quick before we goes take I go, to Jordan and Baron Davis? Go ahead. Sorry, real quick before you pick. I'm doing research for this. I'm seeing that Pablo Prigioni, who we talked about last episode, was eligible in this draft. He entered <laughs> this draft, but he yeah. didn't debut until the 2012-2013 season. He's the oldest rookie ever. But so to think that 14, 13, 14 years later is when he finally made it after declaring for this draft. Just another incredible, uh, you know, notch in the belt. But
1: all for the legacy.
0: So the second pick, the Vancouver Grizzlies, who are you taking?
1: As the Vancouver Grizzlies, I would select for the second pick, Sean Marion. Okay. Um, Good pick. I think that Sean Marion, he was like one of those guys that was kind of just a little bit ahead of uh, his time as far as how the game is now. Um mm-hmm. Super athletic wing, one of the best defenders in the league, uh, and then later on in his career, kind of developing a jump shot. Which obviously, uh, you never have too many shooters now. Uh, and it's with, again with the way the game is played now, he could play multiple positions, defend multiple positions, uh, and score the ball. Um, in this, and I think with again with the, with the way the game is played now, he would fit uh, much better in a system. Um, then, you know, in the time that he played it, uh, granted, he was fortunate for playing with the Suns, though, who kind of had that, what was it, what they call it, the seven, seven second or less offense. Yeah. Um, which I guess is more of a, a bit more of like a, a modern, a modern style, you know, let's played today. So it's uh, actually I think kind kinda of already funny. Got it.
0: It's, it's kind of funny when they talk about it now, like that Suns offense would be one of the slowest offenses, like would have one of the yeah. slowest paces in the NBA today. In the NBA
1: now. But yeah, I just felt like during that time you already kind of got a glimpse of what he was able to do. Um and he would be perfect for for the way the game is now. So uh, I would definitely take Sean Marion with the second pick and Vancouver.
0: Good pick. Good pick. I will I feel like this draft has a lot of really solid NBA players. Yeah. But not a ton of like top heavy like superstar talent.
1: No agreed on that's why that's why though this would be a good one to do because there wasn't really any obvious choice for a certain uh it, at a certain pick.
0: It kind of makes it hard it kind of makes it hard for that reason um but with that being said, the third pick, the Charlotte Hornets are on the board um, and with that pick, I'm gonna be taking Ronald test. Again, might be a little bit of a reach. Might be a little bit of reach, but this is a guy who at one point was the best defender in the NBA. And like we had mentioned last episode, before he got suspended with the malice of the Palace situation, he averaged 24.6 points, 6.4 rebounds, three assists a game, and 1.7 steals, and was the best defender in the league at the time. So I think obviously, you know, the whole butterfly effect, he changed one thing, a lot of other things changed. So, like, being in a different situation, you never know what's going to happen, but maybe it's a better situation for him to end up in, uh, Charlotte, which I mean, obviously Charlotte isn't a great franchise by any means, but he was originally picked by, picked by Chicago, which was kind of been a, you know, a tailspin after the Jordan era. And not to say that Charlotte has stability or even does today, but maybe just a different, different situation, a little bit of a smaller market. Maybe he could have found his niche there. Um, and like I said, at his peak, he's 25 a game and the best defender in the league. Who knows? Maybe he has a different career if he starts somewhere else and is kind of under the radar a little bit. You know, with his personality, he probably finds his way into whatever he's going to get into eventually anyway. But I just think the value <laughs> there and based off what his peak could have been and was even compared to some of these other players' peaks, I feel like he's the best the best player available left at, at at three. Um,
1: nah, Ron, Ron Artest isn't bad at all. Um, the pig isn't bad at all. Like you just said, like it's unfortunate we didn't really get to see what his career could have been, because um, things kind of just went downhill after that, the Malice of the Palace incident. Um, but yeah, like, w- what we had saw, uh, like I guess that season prior and a little bit of that season, the little bit that he played. Um, he was going to be like playing at an all-star level, and uh, you can only figure that he would have been kind of a focal point of the the Pacers' like franchise moving forward. Um, had it not been for that, so uh, I don't think. So I don't think. Um, not Sean Mary. I don't think Ron Tess was a bad pick at all, right there, um, because of what he could have been. Um, but with the fourth pick, uh, I kind of feel like. I kind of take this guy because this is the only Hall of Famer on the Fuck. list. Um, so I'm going to go with Manu Ginobili.
0: Have my next pick.
1: So even at this time, Manu was pretty undervalued. He wasn't drafted um, until the second round uh, in this draft. But like I just mentioned, he's the only Hall of Famer on the list. Um, and, you know, this this isn't to, like, take away. I feel like you kind of say this. Uh, almost as a knock to somebody. But uh, it is fair to ask, like, how much did the system benefit Manu's career? Um, And you have to say it did. You have to say it did. He played for arguably the greatest coach ever um, inside that Sun system with with Duncan and and Tony Parker, um, also playing a lot of his career in a six-man role. um, But I still think that, you know, if he was – on a different team, um, in a different system, had a different role. Uh, he was still more than capable of being an all-star level player. Um, would he have had to, the Hall of Fame career and won the championships that he did? Maybe not, um, but he still did accomplish that. Um, and, and and again, he fit. In the, he fit in that role almost to perfection. So, um, we gave him Manu the opportunity to. Um, to kind of be that focal point on another team, uh, with the Clippers, and uh, see where his career would take him out in LA. Maybe the Clippers would have been a bit more relevant sooner.
0: It's a good pick. Uh, like I said, he stole it from me. I'm a little upset about that. But real quick, before I make my next pick, the Knicks—they just—they find new ways to piss me off every day. I'm looking at this draft and what the actual order was. The Knicks had the yeah. 15th pick in this draft. Mind you, they just went they went to the NBA Finals in this season. They had the 15th pick, they drafted a French center by the name of Frederick Weiss. He never played a second in the NBA. And they but he, was, he was he was
1: amazing in France. If you didn't know,
0: Ron Artest was the next pick. And he, he's from he went to St. John's. Went to from St. John's from New York. They picked a guy that never played a second in the NBA, but that's besides the point. All right, you might be a little, you might not agree with his next pick, but with the fifth pick, the Toronto Raptors, I'm taking Andre Kirilenko. Okay. Now you can argue there's better players in this draft. Um, first career your reasoning. For his, for his career, Carolinko averaged about 12 points, five and a half boards. Um at his peak, he averaged his best season was sixteen and a half points, eight rebounds. He averaged about three blocks a game. Um was a block chant. Ridiculous. Three time all defense. So like he is a great two way wing. Um I would say a little bit better on defense. But I think that he got a draft. Now I think if you're bad, you don't you never draft for for fit. You draft the best player that's there, for sure. But I think being in Toronto, you got to draft the right type of guy. Um, we're originally in this draft. The Vancouver Grizzlies took Steve Francis. I could have told you that wasn't going to work out. He so was traded
1: on draft night. He
0: well, did not play the,
1: for Vancouver.
0: Out of the players that are available, like I don't think Steve Francis. No offense, to these guys, but I don't think Steve Francis or Lamar Odom. I don't think there necessarily would be great fits in Toronto. Um, where Kirilenko is a, you know, he's not American, so I don't think he would have any issue with going to Canada. And if you look at this, the the Raptors roster for the for the ninety nine two thousand season, um, they had Vince Carter, they had a young T Mac. Uh, in this season, Vince Carter averaged twenty five. 25.7 points, 5.8 rebounds, 3.9 assists. Um, T-Mac was still young, uh, but he averaged 15 a game, six rebounds, three assists. It was pretty solid defensively that season. Um, and the Raptors were in above 500 team, 45 and 37. So, I mean, not great, um, but made the playoffs. And I think that if you throw Kirilenko in, Kirilenko... His first, he didn't. Now, here's the thing. Like I said, the butterfly fight, you don't, you never know what would happen. But his first two years, he didn't play in the NBA after getting drafted. He was in Russia. But when he he came over his rookie year, he came in and averaged 10 right away um, and was double digits pretty much his whole career. And like I said, an elite defender. So I think that he was the best fit with the Raptors because you had two prolific scorers in T Mac and Vince Carter. And if you added kind of like a, a big defensive wing into that loop that I think would be a good fit in Canada and not have an issue with it. And he's already, I mean, he's Russian, so he's already away from home, no matter where he is, where a guy that's like, <laughs> you know, Metta World Peace or Lamar Odom, like guys from New York that are going to Canada or something like it's a little, you know, it may not work out as well. Um, I just think, and again, I don't necessarily agree with drafting for fit, but I think that that would be the best fit for what's available for them at that point. So with the fifth pick, Toronto Raptors Fair. select Andre Karolinko.
1: as well that, you know, we are drafting the year 1999, but Karolinko's kind of another one of those guys, similar to Sean Marin, where people talk about if he was in today's era, he would have been so much more impactful. Than, oh, for sure. Yeah, and so much more recognized um, for his game than he was uh, when he played during his during his career um now Karolinko definitely a good pick for sure for sure uh so now we're down to the sixth pick to this was the Minnesota Timberwolves pick um and this is where we're finally going to go with Elton Brand um somebody had to take him somebody had to take him I honestly think that maybe he should have gone a little bit sooner
0: um, yeah. He, I mean, he, yeah, his upside is a lot higher than Carolyn goes, but.
1: But yeah, like I, like I mentioned, I mean, Elton Brand's kind of only downfall was just his injuries. Uh, he had tore his Achilles in the 2007 season um, and he never really returned a form uh, after I'm pretty sure the season after that he joined the Sixers uh, where again, he was riddled with injuries. the, Kind of off topic, but like the most disgusting injury I saw from him, he dislocated his shoulder. He had only been with the Sixers for like maybe that was his first season there, and he gets hit, falls, he gets up, and he's holding his shoulder. And like he moves his hand just a little bit, and the camera pans onto it, and it's like this big, like rectangular bulge coming out of his shoulder. It was the most disgusting thing ever. Um, but that was just the story of about Brandt's career. Unfortunately, uh, injuries, injuries, injuries. But like I said, his first seven seasons with Chicago and the Clippers, he was a consistent 20 and 10 guy every single season. Um, so again, had it not been for those injuries, he probably would have, we could pay he, he, he would have stayed remained the number one pick of this draft. Um, and surely his career would have, would have been so much different, but during those first, you know, almost decade of his career, he was, he was dominant. So um, KG has a, a partner in crime at the, at the uh, center of power forward spot. Who knows how, how they do that. But um Brandon brand and KG, that would have been interesting.
0: Seventh pick in the draft here, the Washington Wizards. Um,
2: I like the fanciness you put on that. I think that
0: <laughs> – I think with this pick, I got to take Lamar Odom. Okay. And I think he would have been good with the Wizards. Lamar Odom for his career – Obviously, he was kind of, you know, riddled with some controversy towards the end of his career, went through a lot of personal stuff, you know, lost a child and, you know, had some drug issues, um, tough upbringing and everything, but at his peak, he's like an ultimate glue guy. Like, he does a little bit of everything. He's a winner, uh, two-time champ, was part of a lot of really good teams, six-man of the year, Um, at his peak was 17-10-5, good defender. His rookie year with the Clippers, he averaged sixteen point six points, seven point eight rebounds, four point two assists, one point two steals, and one point three blocks. Um, so kind of like a Philip Dastachy guy, came in and contributed right away. Now the Wizards are, you know, they're kind of like a dumpster fire, so I don't know how much he would have impacted them. Compared to, I think they took, I think they took Rip Hamilton with that pick. I'm just thinking yeah, it took Rip Hamilton. Who I didn't know that one. A good career, is also a winner, NBA champ. think that the upside of Lamar Odom and, you know, if he's the number one player, we're not going very far, but the Wizards had a few decent players at that time. And like a young Jawan Howard, um, but you know, the older, it's Richmond. So I don't think he would really necessarily impact this, the Wizards, but I don't think anybody that's left available necessarily would either. Um, but like I said, ultimate blue guy, winner, fills up the stat sheet. And once he got into a right position, was was destined to, to be a,
1: I like that, bro. Lamar Odom was like Lamar Odom was different for like a person of his size. What was he like six nine, six ten? He's another guy that would fit
2: really good in the NBA. Oh, absolutely!
1: Today. Could play, make, rebound, defend. He'd literally do everything. Um, okay. Yeah, now nah, for somebody his size, like have that guard like skill set, um, not just the guard like skill set, but still the skill set of a big as well. Um, now he would have been he would have been a problem had he not just kind of been and I hate to say that he was like designated to a role, but playing with the Lakers more or less he was. Um yeah. had he just been kinda of on his own team and, and had that chance, um who knows how good Lamar would have been. Um, at least numbers wise. So with the eighth pick now, we're with Cleveland. Um and I will pick the guy you just mentioned, uh, Rip Hamilton, going to Cleveland. Um, Rip Hamilton was just a consistent scorer. He was he he, he was just going to get it done. You know, kind of like night in, night out. Uh, I know he was always kind of that mid-range guy, um, and then later on in his career, uh, kind of extended his game out to the three-point line. Um, but just again a pure scorer, he was kind of that guy that could, you know, get open off ball, didn't need the ball to be effective, was constantly moving, um, wearing out whoever they had defending them. Um and he was close to a twenty point pre end scorer for his career too. Uh and and the end did so efficiently. So to have a guy like that, um, who you know kind of kinda, kinda got an automatic 15 to 20 points on a nightly basis. Um, get him at the eighth pick,
2: I think, is a pretty good value.
0: Agreed. Good value pick. Um, next pick, this will be my last pick. As I said, we're doing the top ten. So the ninth pick here, the Phoenix Suns, originally took Sean Marion, who you took uh, – what number did you take, Marion? Two? One. Oh, yeah, two.
1: Yeah, one. Two, two,
0: yeah. My first and Murray was a great fit with with that squad, uh, you know, great three and D guy. But um, being that he's off the board, couple different options I could go here, but I'm going to take Jason Terry at number nine. He originally went ten, so picking him one one pick higher here. The Suns were good right away; they were 53 and 29, made it to the second round. 51 and 31 the following season, and then they dropped off. I don't know, for a couple of years after that. But once they kind of got into, like you mentioned before, the seven seconds or less era with D'Antoni, Steve Nash, Doudemire, all those guys, I think that if Jason Terry was able to hang, Terry could have hung around with those Phoenix teams, you know, for five, six years and beyond to play with those seven-second se- seven or less offense teams with Steve Nash, Dan D'Antoni. I, think, I feel like he would have been a great fit with them. If You look at like the 0506 season. He averaged seventeen a game and shot forty one percent from three. Sixteen point seven the following year, forty three percent from three. Oh 0-8-0-9, he was nineteen point six a game, thirty six percent from three. So he's always, you know, at least league average uh, three point percentage. Um, They've got
2: higher, and you know, in the high he teens scoring
0: game. So I think that know, offense that would allow him to get a lot of shots up and space the floor. Yeah, especially playing with Steve Nash and like a Rimler, Stoudemire, those guys. Like, I don't know if they would have been better or worse for it, but he's probably a little bit better of a floor spacer than Sean Marion, but obviously nowhere near the defender. Um, so it just would have been different. But I do think that he would have fit in great with those teams and been able to get a lot of a lot of open looks playing with Steve Nash.
1: Yeah, That's now great. seeing seeing how he would have fit in there would have been crazy. Yeah, seeing how he would have fit with them uh, would have been interesting to watch. So now we're down to the 10th pick. Uh, this was held by the Atlanta Hawks. Original pick being Steve Francis.
2: I'm going to go with, this is low-key,
1: a biased pick, but I also think it is the correct pick. Hey, Steve Francis was going pick this pick. Jason was Jason Terry. I'm sorry, Jason Terry. I don't know, I don't know where I came up with Steve Francis from. <laughs> um, Table Steve Francis. Pick, no, 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 I'm not, picking, I'm not picking Steve Francis. My pick is a bit biased, but I also do think it is the correct pick. Um, I'm picking Andre Miller right here. I think okay. Andre Miller is probably one of the,
2: like, serious, I think Andre Miller is probably like, one of the most underrated players
1: uh, just kind of in basketball. Um, I'm pretty sure he's, like, a top five. I probably should have checked this beforehand. I'm pretty sure he's, like, top five all-time in assists, um, something like that, maybe top ten. Uh I actually just saw a random state. He played he played six hundred and thirty-two
2: consecutive games at some point in his career. Um and to me, Andre Miller was just like a super just like
1: just a super like savvy and high IQ player. Uh Andre Miller, I don't even know if I ever told you this. Like he's probably one of my like my three favorite players ever. Like when he came <laughs> So, like, my basketball, like, the sort of my basketball memory, I don't really remember Allen Iverson playing for the Sixers, like, his first thing he had. I don't really have too much memory of Allen Iverson with the Sixers. My really first Sixers memories was when Allen Iverson got traded. The city was, like, kind of an uproar about it. And in return for Allen Iverson, the Sixers got Andre Miller from from Denver. So that's kind of, like, who I started watching, um, I guess, early in my basketball Watching days, um and he's just like the most methodical, unathletic plays like on the floor type of guy. But he always managed to get to his spots, and uh he never like let the defender disrupt him. Like he's one of the first guys that I will see point guard. I'm sure there's plenty of point guards that played his way prior, but the first one that I see, like take his defender in a post, and I see you like effective post moves as as a, as a point guard. Um, just the fact that he was able to last as long as he did in the league, um, you know, kind of with that with that style of play. Um I loved it. And I think that he he just again he doesn't appreciate it as much or isn't spoken about uh a game as much as the more of the flashy guys. You see, just definitely a really
2: fundamental guy, but um actually, I
1: I do want to check to see where he stands all the time when he assists. Cisbors, um, I know he's definitely up there.
2: He probably is. He's around forever. Played seventeen seasons. Jesus. Um.
1: Yeah, no. He he he's he's gonna be a tenth pick to wrap to wrap this up. Uh, so the one guy that did get left off then was was Steve Francis.
0: Yeah, there's when a couple was, guys when, that were left off. I'll go over a few yeah, of when I was boys. looking at it.
2: A
1: Go ahead. I was say when I was, was looking at, it, I saw that there was there was um a couple guys that I thought maybe could have been inside the top ten uh that were going to get left out. Steve Francis being the first of the first of the of those being left out.
0: Yeah, Steve. I would say the most notable players that were left out. Steve Francis. Um, you know, Wally Zerbiak was a. I don't know if he would be deserving of a top ten pick, but he was. Probably a lot. If we if we extended this to a lottery, he probably would have got picked. Corey McGetty yeah. as well. Um, just looking through it here, I'm, I don't, James Posey maybe he was decent. I think I think we picked pretty much the right ten. You could just to recap the ten here in the redraft. We went Baron Davis number one. Sean Marion two, Ron Artest number three, Manu Ginobili number four, Andre Kirilenko five, Owen Brand six, Lamar Odom seven, Richard Hamilton eight, Jason Terry nine, wrapped up the top ten. Um, you Did you uh, pull up where he ranks all time?
1: Yeah, fact check myself. He's actually he's currently twelfth. Uh, I thought he was much higher. But I guess in recent years he was passed by Westbrook and LeBron, Chris Paul. Yeah. Um but still definitely a uh Again, I underappreciate a guy. Uh, I love Andre Miller. I love this game.
0: So, fun little segment right there. Uh, we'll take one more break. When we get back, we're going to do a wrap-up. And uh, as we've been doing, we'll, we'll finish with a guest of the year. So, we'll take a break here. Hang tight. So, i made it a little bit over-the-top difficult, I think, um, for this one. I would be shocked if you got it. I'd be extremely impressed if you did and uh, I'll tip my back to you. I'm afraid yours so isn't too easy either. the rating champ, I'll let you choose. You want to you want to guess first or give the hints first? Um,
2: I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and I'll guess first this time. All right. Really, really That's put good. the pressure on. Sounds good. do You want your MLB, NFL, or NBA hint first? Let's go with uh, let's go with NBA. All right.
0: In this year, the host city of the NBA All Star Weekend <laughs> was Washington, DC. We're
2: doing this. That's
0: like it. I said, I made it a little bit over the top difficult because like I gotta do what I gotta do to, to get no, back to
2: this race.
1: I'm not I'm not mad at it. Okay. I kinda have an idea of when
2: this was, but okay, next one. NFL or MLT. NFL. In this season, Keyshawn
0: Johnson was fourth, ranked fourth in the NFL in total receptions of 106.
1: This changes, it, this changes it just a little bit for me now.
2: Fourth in receptions, you said? Keyshawn Johnson is fourth. Keyshawn he 106 Johnson. receptions that year. 106, 106. fourth. Okay. And the last, you want the last one, you want to guess? Yeah, def- definitely need the last one. <clears throat> For your last hint, two Phillies
0: finished in the top 20 in ML, ML, uh, MVP voting for the NL. Bobby Abreu finished 16th, and Jimmy Rollins finished 17th in M- NL MVP voting.
2: Oh, uh, okay. So to recap your three hints.
1: <laughs> okay. Let me know one more time.
2: And this year for the NBA,
0: All-Star Weekend was held in Washington, D.C., in the NFL, Keyshawn Johnson ranked fourth in total receptions with 106, and Bobby Abreu and Jimmy Rollins finished 16th and 17th, respectively, in the NFL
1: MVP. MVP. All right. So here is my here is my thought process to this. All first guess, I immediately thought 2005 for Washington for Washington. I'm examining your facial expressions too right now, trying to get a Yes, or what? No, no, no. I'm I'm just giving you my thought process. It was initially two thousand five, then I went two thousand three. Then you say Keyshawn Johnson. And I know that he did play kind of in that time too, but he was more down in the nineties. So I'm back to nineties. But that last sent let me know that my initial guesses were in the right time period. So I kinda of have a feeling it's between like two thousand three and two thousand five. And basically on your facial expressions, I'm I'm right. I just don't know exactly which year it is. Sorry.
0: Don't don't take, take don't take my face to me anything. You could be right. You could
1: I be right. I just I just feel like I gotta go in my gut, which is my initial prediction. My flight two thousand five was also too late for Keyshawn Johnson. Is that a guess or what? It, def- it definitely was. I'm going two thousand
2: three. Not two thousand three. <laughs> two thousand five. Not two thousand five. Oh, Oh, two thousand five <laughs> either. Okay. You got one guess left. Granted, I kind of fucked you. I mean, these are three really hard ones. And honestly, your thought process is is pretty solid for what I gave you. I feel like it should be 2004, but I didn't give you much. Let's go 2000, 2004.
0: Not 2004. Yeah. It was 2003? It, it was 2001.
1: I was not Yeah, I wasn't going that far back.
0: It was two thousand. years. I gotta admit, I kind of fucked you there. I made it a little bit too hard. But like I said, I gotta, no, that's I, gotta
1: that's, I gotta get back in. That's, that's 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 fine though. I just didn't realize from from baseball. I maybe should have guessed it was a little bit further back because of Keyshawn Johnson, but I just didn't say I know Jimmy Rawls. Roll- I mean, Brandon top twenty, just for the NL. I don't know.
0: Bobby, no Jimmy
1: two thousand years is like was like two thousand six or something. Was his MVT season?
0: Yeah, so Bobby Abreu this year hit 31 home runs, 110 RBIs, 36 stolen bases, and led, and led the league in games. He played every game. Jimmy Rollins led the league in at-bats that year. He stole 46 bases, 180 hits, 14 home runs. Ooh. I mean, they didn't get many votes, but um, they both finished in the top 20. Okay. Two solid seasons for both of them.
1: I like that one. I thought I was on it with my gut, with my gut, and uh, my gut feeling. But two thousand one, I wasn't going that far back. I like it though.
2: Lucky for me, yours isn't too easy either. A little bit easier, a little bit easier, but not a, uh, not a giveaway. So, I uh, I see the same. What do you What do you want first? Give me, give me the LLB. This season, the World Series is won by a California team. I like that. This season, or this year, Reggie Miller was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Reggie Miller was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Let me think about it. I would think that his, I think his last season was what '05. The MLB got to five years out. So we'll say he got to be four or five out. I would assume he's probably first ballot. And the Giants won the World Series in 2010, so I'm going to say 2010.
1: That would not be correct.
2: Mean NFL here I jumped
1: in gun a little bit. My NFL hit. This season was the season of the Fail Mary. And for reference, if you don't remember what that was, that was when the uh NFL had the referee the Labor. Yep. And this is the game when uh Russell Wilson threw the ball up. Seahawks were down, throws it up a Hail Mary at the end. Is clearly intercepted, and the referees called a touchdown. Kind of the this defender and the receiver called the ball simultaneously. Defender had more possession, definitely was an interception. The referees that should not have been refs called it a touchdown. Uh, huge controversy, and then days later, they come to the deal with the actual referees, um, and they
2: have the replacement ones gone. Uh, so NFL season, do you think that was? So I'm thinking that, all right.
0: So the California teams, the Padres haven't won any time recently. The Dodgers won in 2020, but this was not 2020. The Angels haven't won since 02. The A's haven't won. I don't even know when. So it has to be when the Giants won. So I think I'm definitely going to get this because they've only won three times recently, and I already guessed one of them. So now it's between Do you 2012. Know the years? It's between 2012 and 2014. Since you already gave me twenty twelve, I'm gonna say twenty fourteen. No. No. Oh.
1: It was not twenty fourteen.
0: But you already gave me twenty twelve, so are you giving me again? I'm trying to think if there's another California team. There's not. It's the Padres, the A's, the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Angels. So it's got it's gotta be twenty twelve again.
1: It's gotta be twenty twelve. <laughs>
0: 2012?
1: They know already gave me 2012 truth. I don't, that, I
0: was don't remember R. that was the R.A. Dickey one, remember? The R.A. Dickey, Cy Young, and the uh, Ryan Anderson most improved player.
1: Well, there was no rule in the book that said I couldn't give you mul- the same year multiple times.
2: That is
1: you true. I 2012.
2: That's true. What I like those hints. I like those hands. I, mean, well, I think. figured All the Reggie so... Miller
1: one would get you. I figured the Reggie Miller one would get you because you would think that he would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer but he wasn't inducted until I guess that would have been like his third year eligibility because he retired at 04. I'm pretty sure the wait time is like five years.
0: I'm trying to think about the points here. So I used three hints, so that's one point, and it was my third guess, so that's one point, so that's two points. But I guessed wrong once before I got the third hint, so that's minus one, so that leaves me with one point. But then you get a point for every guess before the other player, but you never got it, so I don't know if that – does that apply?
1: Yeah, I guess not. So I guess the oh, only benefit.
2: <laughs> and I got zero. I'll tell so you right be- more.
1: you back up one.
0: Show1 at gmail.com. Again, the catch show one at gmail.com. If you can send us some feedback, that'd be great, whether it be positive, even if it's negative. Um, you know, we want to hear it, improve on what we can improve on, get people engaged, get people involved, give you a shout out want to bring some guests on in the future. Um, like we had mentioned before, maybe do a giveaway once we hit a certain number of followers. Um, appreciate you tuning in. Keep listening. Keep following
2: along. Any parting words, my friend, before we wrap up?
1: As always, thank you, everybody, again for listening. And uh, feedback, suggestions, let us know. We're here for it. So let thanks for listening again. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening again. Catch you next time. Catch you next
2: week, please.